Books of the Bible Acts is the second volume of the Gospel according to Luke. It begins with the ascension of Christ and covers the first 30 years of the early church. Acts is about the sovereignty of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the preaching of the Word as early Christians seek to spread the Gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Oh boy, new from Laodicea Records, a Jerry Lewis Christmas. Silent night! Holiday favorites with that famous Jerry Lewis twist. Hey, Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without Jerry Lewis. You're a mean one, Mr. Martin. You know, you really are a heel. Order your copy now and receive a bonus copy of a Jerry Lewis Hanukkah. Can one man sing both Christian and Jewish songs? Does that really matter? Get your copy of a Jerry Lewis Christmas today and have a very Jerry Christmas. Felicia Rashad! Felicia Rashad! Felicia Rashad, the lady on the Cosby Show. She played Theo's mom. Hello! Hello, this is Wretched Radio. Just in case you didn't think that was bad enough, let me take you to the tree lighting ceremony of an evangelical megachurch. Because here's what we all have in common. Just like me, you are the reason for this season. Hold on. We are the reason for the season. Jimmy, let me be the first to wish you a happy Yumas. Oh, thank you. Would you like to return the blessing? Happy Yumas, Todd. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to wish it to myself. Happy Mimas. <laughs> Happy Imas. I'm so glad I'm the reason for the season. How might one get there? Well, you simply have to neglect pretty much the entire Bible. Is it true that we are involved in God's plan of redemption? Yes, as the recipients, but not the author and not the one who actually provides redemption for us. Jesus is the reason for the season. He is the one who was stuffed into a finite body as the infinite God to redeem sinners. That's why historically we've said Mary Christmas, because the incarnation is a huge deal. Andy Stanley claimed in a Christmas message that the virgin birth of Jesus really isn't all that important. If somebody can predict their own death and then their own resurrection, I'm not all that concerned about how they got into the world. Hold the phone, Henrietta. We most certainly are. These details are not insignificant. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the Bible. We need to understand the details, the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord, of a particular lineage furthermore, that whole, you know, sin nature business. Because the whole resurrection thing is so amazing. And in fact, you should know this, that Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories around the birth of Jesus. It really hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Hold it. Indeed, before we get back to Gabe, use of what when we understand the text. Does Christianity hinge on the resurrection? Can you get there? Sure, if you don't understand what Paul was actually saying when he told the Corinthians, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are in rough shape. We are fools indeed. But that doesn't mean the other details of the Bible are insignificant. 
Why? Well, for one reason, if we can't trust the other details, how can we trust the details on the resurrection? Okay, so the claim is that Christianity does not hinge on the truth of the birth of Jesus even though it's literally the first event we read about in the New Testament? Matthew 1, 22-23 says, Now all this took place in order that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Just how important is the virgin birth? Well, if Jesus was not conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that means he was conceived by the seed of man. The Bible says everyone born of Adam is born under the curse of Adam, inheriting his sin nature. As in Adam, all die. We would not be able to call Christ sinless if he were in Adam. But because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is perfect. When the angel said he will save his people from their sins, we know that's true because he was virgin born. He is God incarnate, the pure and spotless lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Without the virgin birth, Christ's death on the cross is meaningless and the resurrection wouldn't happen, and you would still be dead in your sins. The virgin birth is as important as his death and resurrection when we understand the text. What? The incarnation must be defended if Jesus Christ were not born of a virgin supernaturally overshadowed by the Holy Spirit then we would have a sinful savior because the sinful genetic line, if you will, is passed down from the male side of the partnership between a husband and wife. The procreative act, it results obviously in the birth of a human being. But if a real human man is involved, we simply see another totally depraved sinner baby. But that's not what Jesus was. He couldn't have been. Otherwise, you and I would not have any righteousness to commend us to God. This is the often forgot double imputation of the doctrine of justification, which states your criminal record was given to Jesus Christ. But he takes his record of righteousness and says, all yours. So to contemporize this, Jimmy, prepare yourself. This is going to be a total mess. To contemporize this, it's as if Jesus Christ actually had a resume. He goes on to the Microsoft. I, I think that's what you use to edit stuff. <laughs> takes his name off, puts your name on. You get all his righteousness. If Jesus weren't born of a sinner, you'd get all of his sins too. And therefore, we would be in the same situation. And frankly, the visitation of the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, would make no sense whatsoever. And don't we see the issue of the incarnation worth contending because of the abuse that we see with this particular doctrine, specifically regarding Mary? That Mary was sinless in order for Jesus to be sinless. And we therefore see that we have an immaculate conception, as the Roman Catholic Church would call it, that Mary was sinless. Now, we know that isn't true because nobody is righteous. No, not one. Only the God-man, Jesus Christ. Mary was a sinner because if she weren't a sinner, how did she not get a sin nature? Was she immaculately conceived and were her parents miraculously conceived? No, she was a human being who in her Magnificat proclaimed she needs a savior. She got it. I have to confess to you, these liberals who talk about Jesus, the purpose for his existence was to show love. That's why he. this is the season of love and the season of sacrifice and giving of gifts really is 
that what the angel said? He was announced to be the one who would die for our sins. By the way, you might want to book your plane ticket early because, well, already millions of people are descending on Mexico City at the Our Lady of Guadalupe Festival, which is basically a worship celebration of the Virgin Mary. Why? Because they're confused about the doctrine of the Incarnation. Those are the messages that people are going to get for Christmas. I'd love to rejoice when I see more cars on the road on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Although, some people aren't doing a Christmas Day service. And the services that are being done on Christmas Eve tell us that we're the reason for the season. An article was written, Why Our Church Canceled Christmas Day Services. This is a church that said because Christmas Day falls on Sunday morning, we're pulling the plug on our pattern of worship. And they, in a sense, rightly argue that missing church one time does not make you a violator of one who forsakes the assembling of the saints. But listen to the rationale of this church who isn't even going to do church on Sunday. And we see this. Sometimes the reason is, well, you know, people, we just wanted to be with their families We want people to not have to work on Christmas Day. It is such a confusion about what the church gets to do when we assemble on Resurrection Sunday morning. This church said our context makes a Christmas Day service uniquely different. Aha. So the way that we do church, when we do church, is determined by your zip code. Context is the primary reason we canceled our Christmas Day service. Like many church plants, we meet in a shared space. We don't just roll up on Sunday, flip the switches, and it's time for church. We need to put out chairs, set up equipment, the sound, etc. Yeah, it is a lot of work. I get that. While we have less work to do than many church plants, there's still a considerable amount of setup required because we meet in a public place. And guess what? Because 80% of our members travel for Christmas, we've only got 20% of us to set up. Well, I would also say you have 80% less to set up because only 20% are going to be there. The secular nature of the city means our neighbors are uninterested in visiting our church on Christmas morning. Our area is so post-Christian that it's exceedingly unlikely a sudden influx of non-Christians will wake up to visit our church on Christmas Day. That's not a problem because we don't do Sunday worship for pagans. We do it for Christians. And if 20% are there, 60% show up. We maintain the pattern established by the early church. We worship, we assemble on Resurrection Sunday morning. Is this their biggest problem? Probably not. Their bigger problem is what produces this sort of decision. This is Wretched Radio. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local church 
villages, it became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Question, have you taken the opportunity to jump on the road trip to truth for season three? Because if you haven't, you are missing out on a wealth of information. In season three, host John Favarez tackles topics like aliens and the Bible, the dangers of social media, femininity, masculinity, the real meaning of sex, justice, Christmas, and hermeneutics, among others, with experts like Alan Parr, Dr. Collins Mothers, Dr. Jason Lyon, Tom Hammond, Nate Pigowitz, Dr. Paul Twist, and more. Check out Road Trip to Truth Season 3 if you haven't done so yet. It's a valuable resource for you, your kids, and your church. Available now in the Wretched Store at Wretched.org. Oh, and while you're there at Wretched.org, make sure you make some time to jump on over to our donate page and check out all of the information on becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at Wretched.org slash donate. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the cornerstone. When laying a foundation, every stone must be aligned in reference to the cornerstone. God is building his church as a holy temple. And as believers, we are being brought into line with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Spreading the globe because, well... Y'all live all over the place, and you, thankfully, send stories from all over the planet to idea at wretched.org. They are very good. I would love to share them, but they don't always fit into a neat theme. So what do we do? You take a jingle, you slap it on the opening segment, and you call it Wide World of Christian Stories. Wretched Radio. What's up is down. What's black is a banana. Although I guess bananas can be black. Do you ever get the itchy throat thing from the bananas that are overripe or they're underripe? And you, yeah, you have to 
chew your mouth in the back of your throat because something goes on in there when the banana ain't just right. We see a world that is calling this, that, that another thing because we're living in an inverted reality world. And we see this manifested constantly. For instance, did you know that discrimination means you can't practice your religion? That practicing your religion is to discriminate. The president, in the name of non-discrimination, advanced a proposed final regulation that would force religious doctors and hospitals to perform abortions and transgender surgeries. Quote, this proposed rule ensures that people nationwide can access health care as if taking the life of your child or castrating your son Uh, That's health care. No, that's evil is what that is. Nevertheless, he said to make sure that people can do those deeds, they need to be free from discrimination. Standing with communities in need is critical, particularly given increased attacks on women, trans youth and health care providers. I don't know where those statistics come from. I haven't seen those. I do know that there are abortion centers that are getting firebombed. I do see that going on, which is why if you thought maybe you don't need to consider supporting preborn ministries because, well, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Uh, no, there are plenty of states that still provide abortions. Furthermore, there's this little pill that can be mailed to a state where it is not legal, which means the battle continues to rage. And when I say battle, I mean they are getting torched. Please consider supporting preborn. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Healthcare should be a right not dependent on looks, location, love, language, or the type of care someone needs. So mutilating a child's body is healthcare. Whoop! It's an inverted reality. Practicing your religious faith to say, I can't do that. That's discrimination. Why? Because you are living in an inverted world. I'm sorry for that. I'm really, really sorry. The religious rights of our country are under assault. And one way that it is happening is by inverting reality and calling this that case in point number two, President Biden just signed the what act respect for marriage act. Oh, I see. Redefining it is respecting it. Okay. What about the people who don't think that? That's not respect, but it is an inverted reality world. I also noticed this, incidentally, that this religious or this Respect for Marriage Act, the the USA Today, the mainstream rags, they are not just saying that this is about protecting same-sex marriage. It's about protecting interracial marriage. Why? Because if you can say, I can't marry a gay couple, you could therefore say, I I won't marry people who have different skin color. What are they doing? They're trying to get. How can you how can you be for not letting people of different skin color marry? It's just it's just a shot at us and an attempt to override what we all know to be natural law. President Biden concluded his remarks. 
by pointing to more societal challenges ahead. When a person can be married in the morning and thrown out of a restaurant for being gay in the afternoon, this is still wrong. Jimmy, you scour the news every day. You seen one of those stories? Uh, well, yeah. You seen any stories about Christians being kicked out of a restaurant recently in, say, Virginia? Uh, yeah, because they're pro-life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That's it right there. The president voiced his support for legislation that it would expand federal civil rights to LGBTQ people because we must stop the hate and violence. So if you're practicing your religion, you're a hater. Oh, the war of words. It is raging, isn't it? Hey, for all of those folks who said, let's be a big tent Republican party. Well, I think you're seeing the fruit of it. The Respect for Marriage Act appears to be in part successful and now legislation because of, well, here's the headline from the New York Times. Prominent gay Republicans helped smooth the way for marriage. Ah, so there were people who were welcomed into the big tent of Republicanism who spent $1.7 million to persuade GOP senators that backing it would give them a political edge. Because that's really the way you should make a decision. Huh? On, a, on an issue like marriage. Will I get reelected? Will people love me more? That's how I will render my decision. Well, apparently... There are groups of gay Republicans. I think they call them log cabin Republicans because, duh, Abe Lincoln, obviously that whole marriage to marry thing was a show. They have had some influence. And what do we see now? I believe it was 39 Republican Congress people who voted for this thing and 12 Republican senators. Are you sure we want that big of a tent? Half of American voters say same-sex marriage bill undermines religious freedom from Rasmussen reports. 40% strongly approve of the same-sex marriage bill. 33% disapprove. 21% strongly disapprove, which is 44%. I don't know where the other 16% are, but we are living in a nation that increasing. I've seen other stats that say 70% are for it. But you and I should be concerned about the implications for religious liberties. Watch out for the Colorado case to be handed down from the Supreme Court. That's going to be a big deal. That is going to answer the question that was asked in 2015. How will the passing of a Obergefell, not the passing, although it felt like it, the determining that gay people can, should be married, they don't have any other distinctions that are worthy of disqualifying them from marriage. What about the Christians who disagree with that? Well, we'll sort that later. Well, later is now here. And speaking of later, I got to tell you, I'm so glad that my girls grew up before American girl books went bonkers. (laughs) Oh, the American girl doll thing. That was, oh, I remember that so well. Because it was all the rage when our girls were little and everybody had to have one. The next door neighbor, she had like 12 of them. Our kids had none. So we ended up giving in, caving. I think we brought them used. One of them had all of her body parts. One was missing a head. But we're Christians and we're frugal that way. Well, now American Girl Doll, they have a book. It's called A Smart Girl's Guide 
Body image. Aimed at 3 to 12-year-olds. 3 to 12-year-olds. What is American Girl Doll suggesting? Being a girl ain't all that great. So if you think you're a boy, just talk to your medical professional about this. 3 to 12. A smart... A smart girl's guide, Body Image, advises children to talk to their doctors about medicine to delay puberty without stating the risks associated with the drugs, nor the fact that it's not been approved by anybody with an ounce of common sense. Available in stores online, advises children to talk with a doctor about wearing clothes or using pronouns to resemble the opposite sex. Yuck. Who wants to be a girl? You want to be a boy? There's nothing special about the female gender, said American Girl Dolls. Quote, parts of your body make you feel uncomfortable and you may want to change the way you look. That's totally okay. You can appreciate your body for everything it allows you to experience and still want to change certain things about it. <laughs> oh, man, Silla. If you don't have an adult you can trust, there are organizations around the country that can help you because those stupid old parents might want to keep you from being you. So there's some liberal groups that'll encourage you to take puberty blockers at the age of at the age of can you even read the American Girl Study Guide at the age of three and they're encouraging a three year old to take puberty blockers to stall puberty? I don't know if you've been hearing some of these deconstruction stories. Oh, I think Tucker Carlson has been doing a number of these. They're heartbreaking. These people that were persuaded and believe. I just read one about a Navy SEAL. He went to the the, the medical professionals in, 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 in the military and they said, oh, you're a woman. And now he realizes, wow, that was a mistake. But he felt just pushed. And after an hour long consultation, I was deemed a woman. Whoa. I got to admit, I don't envy you if you have little girls today. And on that bleak note, until tomorrow, go serve your king. Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. To convince a child to keep walking, try switching roles with them. Let the child play the role of the parent. They'll immediately do what you want them to do. You are raising in your home people that the Bible is very clear about their status. They need to be converted. Not just a conformity of their behavior. They need a transforming encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate priority. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. You prefer one tablet? or two. This is Wretched Radio. God's laws, all of them, and there's oodles. Go ahead and count them. It's a Hebrew word, oodles. It means a lot of them are presented to us in the Bible, but pithily summarized on two tablets, affectionately known as the Ten Commandments, because, well, there are Ten Commandments, but they reside on two tablets. We see vertical commandments. We see horizontal commandments. The second tablet, how we're to treat one another. Parents, how we should speak truth to one another, not lie about one another. Those commandments are horizontal. They reside on the second tablet. The first tablet, those would be your vertical commandments. How we are to think, speak, and act toward a holy God. 
that we should make no idols, no graven images, put nothing before the Lord, never use his name casually, whether it is by word or deed. Those are the commandments that reside on the first tablet. There is a debate that is being rekindled because this ain't the first time this debate has taken place. How many tablets do we want the government to enforce? What role does the government have in the first tablet of the Ten Commandments, if any role at all? You say that's a debate these days. I say it sure is. Go out to Twitter land, go out to social media, and you're going to see Brothers and sisters, because this is not an essential doctrine, this is a secondary issue, we can have disagreements here, we can debate this heartily, but we're not going to do it antagonistically, we're not going to do it with animosity. This is a subject that we all have to admit, it is complex. It probably goes back 1700 years, give or take, to the time of Constantine, prior to the emperor deigning that Christianity is going to be the religion of the kingdom. For the most part, for Christians, it was pretty simple. You submit to the governing authorities. Constantine came along and said, the religion is going to enforce Christianity. And for centuries, we saw that unfold. It grew into a little something called the Holy Roman Empire, which was the Roman Catholic Empire, where most of Western Europe It was dominated by Roman Catholicism and the emperor, he had ecclesiastical authority. The theme of the magisterial reformers and Roman Catholics at the time was your territory, your religion. And we saw the outworking of that, a whole lot of fighting going on. The founding fathers of America, they had to consider this issue. And because Our government currently is saying adios (laughs) to biblical values and, frankly, even natural law. We need to ask, what is our expectation? What is our command toward the government regarding the two tablets of the law? I think we would all agree. Yeah, we want them to bear the sword. After all, that's 1 Peter 2. That's Titus 3. That's Romans 13. Punish the evildoers, promote good. So I think we're all groovy with the second tablet being enforced by the government. But what about the first? There are brothers and sisters who are saying it is the government's duty to enforce the first tablet of the law. Now, this position takes on different names. It can be as aggressive as dominionism. It could be theonomy. Is, an, is a moniker that would be attached to the view, hey, the government, for the flourishing of the people, because you cannot separate God from morality, they must enforce the first tablet. And I understand the power of that argument, don't you? Because it's true. The movie Time Changers from 2002 was fascinating. Maybe you saw it. If not, it really is worth a watch because it will force you to wrangle through these issues. Back in the 1880s, 1890s, when this particular flick was set, a professor had written a book that he was presenting to his fellow professors for their endorsements. The premise of the book was that you can separate morality from God. It's just good for culture if they still learn you shouldn't murder, no adultery, no stealing. 
and they don't need to believe in God or God does not need to be the authority who proclaims, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not murder. Well, Gavin McLeod, affectionately known as Captain Steubing, was one of the professors who disagreed. And he happened to have a time machine. You know, who doesn't? And he sent the author, the professor, fast forward 100 years. So we see a guy who lived in the 19th century, propelled into the 21st century, and he was shocked. Little kids that would sass back, little girl, you shouldn't be doing that. Who says? And he realized, uh uh-oh, there's danger here, Will Robinson. One of my favorite scenes, he's in the movie theater, and all you see is his face. You know, you see the lights from the movie flashing on his face and he's just shocked and he goes running out into the lobby stop this film stop this film they're taking the name of the lord in vain because a hundred years ago most states if not all states had blasphemy laws on the books you couldn't take the lord's name in vain without paying a price for it if you got busted for it and they wrote you a ticket That was 100 years ago. This fellow discovered, wait a second, you really can't have morality without God, which raises an interesting conversation about presuppositionalism. When we talk about morality, if we do not have an authority, if we do not have a backer, if we do not have an author, if we do not have the standard of that morality, then we don't have morality. We merely have preferences. And so folks in the camp that would say the government needs to enforce the first and second tablets of the law would say they've got to enforce that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. Because without that murder, adultery, stealing, It has no enforcement. It has no power. Furthermore, it's good for the culture. It's just good for people. And they would say, therefore, the government's duty is to enforce the first two tablets. I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers from the American Reformer a very thoughtful article on the other side that, no, it is the government's job to enforce the second tablets being more along the lines of natural law, sort of the common, duh, these are the things that we should be doing and not doing. That second tablet, we kind of get, and the government should enforce that, not because it is written in stone. Not because it is the law of Moses, but because that's what promotes human flourishing and punishes bad guys. And because we all have a conscience, we get that. We agree on those for the most part. And they should do their duty in bearing the sword regarding those commandments, but not the first tablet. And this is an argument to say, and believe me, I know this is not simple. This is not clean. There are challenges to both views how many tablets the government should enforce. This was called at the American Reformer, Why My Kids and Yours Need Religious Freedom. Begins by talking about the magisterial reformers. Why do they have an adjective in front of their name? Because this is the group that we know of that is, they're the big boys, the panoply of the Protestant Reformation. But really, it's about the Anglican Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian, the Calvinistic churches. These are the reformers 
who started to write and talk a lot about the intersection between church and state. What is it? What's the relationship? And you see varying forms of this, which is a fascinating journey all by itself. But we'll fast forward to today. The magisterial reformers, I think it's safe to say, as a rule, would say, oh, the government does need to be enforcing both tablets. That's why we saw blasphemy laws. But there are people now who would say, with all due respect to the magisterial reformers, no. So here it is. The magisterial reformers may have believed the magistrate's jurisdiction extends to both tablets of the law and to protecting true worship because no polity can be successfully established unless piety be its first care. That's pithy. That's Calvin. And that's right. Genuine morality, it it can't take place until there is piety, a right motivation, an understanding of God, his character, his nature. He's right. That was John Calvin appealing to the Davidic kings. And in one sense, he's right. People will not truly love their neighbors and refrain from murder, stealing, etc. if they don't first love God. The second table depends on the first. Love of neighbor depends on love of God. Therefore, they reason, we should criminalize violations of the first table. John Calvin thought so. I suspect the other reformers believed the same thing. And today, we are seeing a resurgence of that view. And it is incumbent upon us for so many practical reasons, for the sake of our kids, how we talk to the government, what about religious liberty issues or not. It is a conversation we must and will lovingly have next on Wretched Radio. Hey, isn't this... Groovy. Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device. A preborn clinic in Miami vandalized, and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life, and yet the preborn centers continue to open support organizations like Freeborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today offering free and loving Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the uh, literal battle for life. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. So, have you been by the store lately? You know, the Wretched Store at Wretched.org. Because if not, you're going to want to mosey on over there as soon as you can. Because you're going to find not only a ton of great resources, but you're also right now going to find all Wretched products have been marked down 50%. And that's not all. No, if you spend $50 or more, we're going to give you a copy of Transformed Season 1 
month while supplies last, plus free shipping. It's a little something we like to call the Wretched 50-50 sale. And you've got an opportunity to take advantage of it right now through the end of the year. All you have to do is head on over to Wretched.org. That's Wretched.org. And see for yourself just how much money you can save through the end of the year. That's Wretched.org. Wretched. Amazing grace amazing gospel. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles and the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines, but they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Important dates in Christian history. 1620. Pilgrims coming to America sign the Mayflower Compact and commit themselves to seek the public good, uphold group solidarity, and forsake self-seeking. The Pilgrims' influence helped to create the religious freedoms enjoyed today in the United States. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Where does that little old therefore take us? This is Wretched Radio, the magisterial reformers centuries ago trying to figure out a complex, it's a ball of twine issue, the relationship between church and state. And they made their case that the government can, should, must enforce the first tablet of God's laws, the laws that are vertical, our relationship with him, how we think about God and speak and act toward God. They said the government's duty is to enforce those. Why? Because if you separate the first tablet from the second tablet, the second tablet falls down and goes boom. And I will confess to you, that is correct. If you do not have an authority that stands behind the laws, you merely have preferences. And so the magisterial reformer said, therefore, the government should enforce the first tablet of the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. There was an article written in the American Reformer that presented the other side. This is information that we need to determine what are we saying to the government? What do we want the government to do? How, what, what, do they, what do they have to do with the state? What relationship is there between Caesar and Christ? So from the American reformer, there's a difference between recognizing moral truths and realities and granting the state the authority to enforce them. A moral is does not equate to a governmental ought. This ain't easy. We concur. We must have God standing behind the laws or we have no laws. But does that therefore mean the government must enforce how people think about God? Consider the implications of that. 
which God, which version of Christianity, which rules exactly? Are we talking about Mosaic laws? Are we talking about the laws of the New Testament? This issue gets very messy very fast, and we need to noodle through it. So let's let the American reformer do that for us. Second table enforcement is is good. By God's common grace, non-Christians really can be expected and made to keep aspects of it. We really can enforce laws against murder and stealing. Idolatry? Good luck. Isn't that one lesson from ancient Israel? They had the laws. They were indeed God's chosen people to be a peculiar people, a nation set apart of holy priests. Were they able to enforce the two tablets of the law? No, we see that immediately with the making of a golden calf as an idol replacement for God. We've got to ask ourselves the question, and it becomes a little bit eschatological. You've got to consider and times issues here. Replacement theology is the church Israel. Is America Israel? How can we take the laws of that nation and impose them on this nation? Are they replaceable? I think that there's a plan for Israel. I think the Mosaic Covenant, it has been displaced, replaced, obliterated, Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. We live under a new covenant with a new authority, a new religious authority, and that is the church. The church is the enforcer of these things for believers versus the government being the enforcer for pagans. Not only that, it's true, I require my children to attend church and endure family worship at home. But I've never criminalized or punished violations of the first table in my home. Can you imagine punishing your children for not loving God? And that's what we would be asking the government to do. So the question, writes the author in the American Reformer, that I'd ask the first table enforcers today is, Do they think that launching my children and theirs into a society that punishes first table infractions, if only by making them second class citizens, really helps them to know Jesus? Do they assume our children will respond well to that? Because that's what we'd be asking the government to do. Make everybody acknowledge, love God, and respect his name to put nothing before him. Suppose I had a rebellious child, and let's just say she evidenced rebellious streaks from a young age, and it goes on into her teenage years. What do we want the government to do about that? Will the governmental laws do what my home laws, combined with a ton of love from mom and dad, accomplish the goal of having people love Jesus? The answer is, I don't know why we would think that. How could we think that? Back to American Reformer. Our sons and daughters launching into the world don't need false gods and false Christianities established in the public square. For every time you manage to get hold of the sword to prosecute your religion or your or sect, seven other times someone else will get a hold of it to prosecute their version of Christianity against yours. The same sword that Constantine drew against the heretics, Julian turned against the Orthodox. 
So a question for those who would like legal implementation of the first table matters, how can we guarantee it's our version of Christianity and God instead of Joe Biden's Christianity, which isn't really Christian at all. The point is, who's going to establish the dictates? What if, what if Mitt Romney becomes president? Is it the Mormon? Is that how we're supposed to think about God? It becomes a mess. Now, please note, I recognize the religious liberty view that we don't want the government to enforce the first tablet of the Ten Commandments. I get it. It's you could probably in fact, you probably already are going, hey, what about this? What about that? And what about this? I get it. I understand. I don't think that this is a fist banging issue, but it is a subject that could divide us so radically. Where, where Christians are pitted against Christians because of our attitude about the first and second tablets. And we don't need more division on this subject. We don't need it. We need to disagree with one another. We need to do it lovingly and respectfully. Snarkily, I don't think it has a place. Back to American reformer. In Russia, you'll get a Roman Orthodox church. In Italy, you'll get a Roman Catholic church. Do we want that? And never mind what you'll get in the nations governed by other religions who could make the very same argument. Therefore, concludes this particular author, the first tablet is up to the church to enforce. Enforcing the first table operates by kingdom of man logic through triumph through power rather than kingdom of God logic triumph through weakness that's an interesting take. Now, in defense of Christian nationalism, a Canadian academic. So this is somebody who is saying we need to have a genuine Christian nation mandate where the principles of the first two tablets are indeed enforced by the government. So a Canadian academic was trying to make that case, looking at Canada and how it's morally <laughs> well, pretty much like America. Quote, all I want is freedom to worship according to my conscience within a society that recognizes as the preamble of the Canadian Charter of Freedoms puts it, quote, this is from their constitution, principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. So this author looked up the Canadian Charter of Freedoms It's sort of the Bill of Rights for Canada passed in 1982. It does call for principles that recognize the supremacy of God. So here's the response. It sounds like Canada has what they want. If Christianity and the two tablets are to be enforced, that was established in 1982. How did it do? How is Canada doing? How is the value system of Canada improved because in 1982, the supremacy of God was indeed legislated from John Newton. Dear friend, allow me to say I'm, I'm both in wonder and concern that a Christian minister such as yourself should think it's worth his while to attempt political reforms. When I look around the present state of the nation, such an attempt appears to me to be no less vain and foolish than it would be to paint the cabin while the ship is sinking or to decorate the parlor while the house is on fire. John Newton. Which of the tablets do you want the government to enforce? Let's keep chatting. But I do believe we should all be able to agree on this. 
the message of the church to the state at the bare minimum should be repent. Stop sinning. It's it's like John MacArthur's open letter to Governor Newsom. He didn't get into policies and procedures. He got into the state of the governor's soul. You are on a highway to hell. Repent and then rule righteously. That's the message of the church. I would ask this. What does it profit a nation if everybody sort of tries to keep the first tablet of the law, which I don't think an unspiritual person can do, but let's just say every person in the country were able to keep the first tablet. What does it profit a nation if they've got decent theology, but they've never repented, trusted Jesus Christ, and they die and go to hell? Discuss. This is Wretched Radio. Wretched Radio. 